Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us this evening. Um, thank you for the fellowship that many of us uh, got to have uh, and to uh, listen to each other uh, and learn about uh, each other's lives. Uh, we want to take this time now to uh, listen to you and, um, and draw closer to, to your heart um, and learn about how to do that on a more uh, regular basis. Um, teach us, instruct us, and, and encourage us in that direction uh, through this time together. We pray in your son's name. Amen. All right. Uh, it's good to see everyone. Glad you made it, even though it's like super cold out there. Um, so I want to start off by letting you have a little um, conversation at your table, and that's the purpose of the roundtable, so that you, you'll have a little bit of interaction with, with your group. Share at your table, what about enjoying devotionals do you find challenging, okay? Uh, and, and I'm not just saying the challenge of doing devotionals, the challenge of enjoying doing um, devotionals. What do you find most challenging about that, all right? So uh, let me give you a couple minutes to share at your table, okay? Go. Okay. Um, so... I think most of you can look at this list and go, yeah, I can empathize with pretty much all of that, if not most of that, right? And I hope the first thing that tells you is you're, you're not alone <laughs> in struggling with doing um, daily devotionals. You're not at all alone. And that's partly why it's good to talk about this um, this way. And, and I empathize with a lot of these um, as well. We're all kind of growing in various ways in these areas. Um, and, and today's seminar is just one step in, in that direction of wanting to grow in this area. Uh, it's not, I, I'm not gonna say after this seminar, you will, for the rest of your life, love doing daily devotionals. Um, but I think if you can take away just one or two things you found helpful and, and apply that to your devotional life, I think that will be a win for one evening's worth of seminar, okay? So uh, try to take away from this one or two things that you can, you can directly apply to your devotional life to make it more enjoyable and fruitful, all right? And that will be a win. And I want to offer you guys some hope as we start, and, and, and that is uh, what God's Word says. And because God's Word is always true, Whenever we look to God's word, we can find uh, something hopeful in there. So let's look at Psalm 19 together and take a look at what Psalm 19 says there. Starting from verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay, amen. So it says here, whenever I turn to the word of God, my soul can be revived. In verse 7. And I can be made wise. And the flip side of that is, if I don't turn to the word of the Lord, I become a simpleton, a fool. Uh, verse 8 tells me, whenever I turn to the word, 
my heart can rejoice. My eyes can be enlightened. I can see things the way they really are. Verse 9 tells me I can hold on to what endures forever. I can understand what true righteousness is. Verse 11 tells me I get warned. You know, how many things have we suffered because nobody warned us about it, you know? And there's great reward. Verse 12 tells me I can pick up on my errors and, and that I am prone to error. There are hidden faults in me that I don't even know about that Scripture can reveal to me. Verse 13 tells me there are presumptuous sins in me, but through God's Word, they won't have dominion over me. And I'll be able to live blamelessly and be innocent in the eyes of God. And verse 14 tells me, words of my mouth, meditation of my heart can be acceptable in God's sight, which is an astounding thing that things coming out of my mouth and coming out of my, my thoughts uh, can be pleasing to this holy and, and almighty God. And what does the psalmist do in order to benefit from, uh, benefit all these things, gain all these things? All that he's doing really is he is turning to the word of God, right? So there's hope, guys, for us too. Whenever we turn to the word of God, we can enjoy all of these blessings. It's not because the psalmist is more mature than you are that he enjoys these things. It's not because the psalmist went through intensive discipleship for a lengthy period of time that he enjoys these things he's simply turning to god's word and he's receiving all these things benefiting from god's word in all these ways so let's hope in that as we uh, move forward um, the outline and some of you are going to be very familiar with this the outline we're going to use to talk about doing devotionals is praise p-r-a-i-s-e it's an acrostic each letter standing for something. Although for tonight, I'm actually going to spend the most um, time talking about the P because I kind of tweaked it for myself, for those of you who are familiar with this, um, to, to expound on it, to, to mean something more than just one letter. Uh, to me, uh, P actually stands for three, there are three Ps, and they are uh, pause, posture and uh, prayer and, and I think a good way to look at this would be maybe drawing a triangle and then and putting each of these at each uh, um, angle because then then it looks like okay I need I need all three it's not like and it's not necessarily in this order although I try to do this in this order I do want to emphasize they're all important and and you kind of have to have one in order to have the other two as well, and, and I think it will become clearer um, as we go. Um, I want to spend most of our, maybe first half of our time tonight talking about these three Ps. Because um, for me, these three things have become habitual, and, and not only habitual, over time it's become essential that I observe these three things, and it's, it's kind of become muscle memory at this point, I think. But whenever I intentionally do these three, I, I can't recall a time I didn't find devotionals enjoyable when I don't skip over um, these three um, Ps. So let me go over these one at a time. The first P is pause, okay, pause. And this might relate to when we, when we talk about pausing, okay, it's going to pertain to things uh, that you mentioned here like time or you know, just getting yourself to do it, uh, brain being tired, and whatnot, okay? <laughs> Given that we all live in a very hectic, distracting world, plus we get busy, we get tired, uh, we get restless, think about how, um, how intentional the act of pausing is. Like, how intentional do you have to be 
uh, to pause? And the answer is very. You have to be very intentional uh, to pause. You cannot accidentally pause <laughs> in this world. If you want, if you seriously want to put a pause button on your life, you have to be intentional in a lot of ways. Uh, first of all, it's a physical decision you make when you pause, because you have to stop doing other things to truly. Realize I have paused in this moment. Okay, so first of all, it's a physical decision. It's also a mental decision because you're reigning in your thoughts when you pause, and you're you're not letting your thoughts scatter into a dozen different directions, and letting letting text messages or or whatever pops up in your email to be your thoughts. You're pausing to direct. You're channeling your thoughts in a certain direct mental direction. So it's a mental decision. It's a spatial decision because you need to relocate to somewhere where you can be relatively alone and and avoid all the distractions and have silence. Have a moment of silence in order for you to be able to truly feel like you're pausing. And and you need to do that in order to ponder who God is, who you are, uh, where you stand with God. What you're living for, what God's will for you today is, you need a moment of silence to digest these things and process these things. And and we also know from experience that when when there is silence, something meaningful and something enjoyable is about to take place, like the silence you have before a movie begins. And and they tell you on the big screen, please silence your phones. Um, don't. Distract others. Don't distract yourself, and really, therefore, enjoy the show. Right? So, in order to really enjoy something, you have to have the intentionality to pause and have that moment of silence as you enter into it. Same thing before a, a concert, right? Um, there's absolute. It, it's like almost like this uh, nerve-wracking kind of silence. Like I, I'm afraid of making any sound because people are so still for the. For the orchestra to to begin, pausing is also a temporal decision,、um, meaning it relates to time because you're intentionally directing your time to something that's worthwhile.、Uh, to say no to spending time on other stuff, to say this is this is worth my time, it's a temporal decision. And if you don't have one, guys, you should make an appointed time to meet with God. You're much more likely to keep a promised time. Than an unpromised time, okay. So, for example, my kids know this very well. <laughs> so,、uh, Soli loves to go on these、um, daddy-daughter dates, and she would say, "Yo, when when can we go on our next daddy-daughter date?" Or, or Owen would ask, "Yeah, when can when, when's our next video game time together?" And I'll say, "Okay, maybe this Saturday or, or later tonight or something like that." And they'll say, they started saying this more. You promise? Okay. Do you promise? Why? Why do they make me promise? Because they know when I promise, it's more likely to happen. Okay. When I say some other time,、uh, yeah, we'll 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 see about that. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> so they're smart. They they're like, when and promise me, then it's a date, right? You made you made a promise. You made a pinky promise. And、um, and I also remind myself by making that promise, I, I'm investing in something worthwhile. I I may not even see how I'm going to have time for it, but I decide upon it ahead of time because I know it's worthwhile. I know it will bring joy into my life. It's the right thing to do for your loved one. So make a promise to to God to keep a certain time, to meet with Him, and and then and get get good at keeping that time. Uh, have I had to reschedule times with with my family members? Yeah,、uh, but not too often because that that creates a relational strain naturally, right? It's like, oh, you always you always promise you never keep it. I don't want to hear that.、Um, so there's grace, but but it also holds you accountable and pushes you in a, in a good direction. So a promise time is necessary for effectively pausing and turning your focus on God during that time. So so. Um, for all those reasons, don't underestimate the power of the the first P of pausing. A lot happens just by pausing. I I think that's my first sort of button. That's my first 
step, and if that first step gets taken, things just kind of start rolling like a snowball down the hill. Okay? Okay, I, for, I should have mentioned this earlier, but if you have any questions at any point, please raise your hand, just ask, because I want this to work for you. I want this to be helpful for you. So uh, before I move on to the next P, are there any questions? Yeah, Pastor Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. Try this right now. Okay, try this right now. Sit up straight in your chair. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. And breathe out. Deep breath. And breathe out. One more time. Breathe in. Breathe out. Okay. You have just paused. You did it. Okay. And then, and then it's a matter of, okay, I'm going <laughs> to... Something just, something just happened to Klein. I don't know what. But something amazing just happened to him. Um, it's, remember, what's the, what's the first thing to pausing? What kind of a decision is pausing? Physical. It's a physical decision. Yeah, maybe you're mentally ready to, okay, I need to dive into devotional, but your body's not ready. Uh, your body's still antsy. It's still busy. It's still trying to get work done. Uh, it's still trying to get into the, the, the hamster wheel. Uh, pause your body. Right? Breathe slowly to, to tell your brain, hey, I'm slowing down right now intentionally. I, I'm putting a hard break on this default mode that you're trying to enter into that rushes into the, the hectic day-to-day life. <clears throat> I'm pausing you. Right. I'm, taking con- I'm taking control. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm practicing self-control over you, brain. Okay. Just by breathing and, and breathing out. Okay. Um, and start there. Um, and, and this relates to the second piece. So I'll go to that. Thanks for asking that question, by the way, Pastor Kevin. Um, the second P is posture. Posture, all right? Um, and I'll, I'll, I might actually might spend a bit more time talking about this one than the first P. Because this one, I think, takes a, a, a little bit more thoughtfulness, intentionality. But I think it's easy enough for you guys to get it. If I, I really feel like it's one of those things that uh, if I can do it, anybody can do it kind of thing. And, and you do not have to be a pastor to understand this at all. There was this simple study done by a group of psychologists who tested subjects where uh, one group was asked uh, to make a sad face for a certain period of time. Just make a sad face for a certain period of time. Another group, they, they were told to make a happy face. Happy face for a period of time. And then afterwards, they brought everyone together and then they interviewed them. And they asked those who made sad faces for a period of time how they felt. And guess what they said? They felt relatively sadder. They asked those who made happy faces for a time. And their answer? They felt relatively happier. Okay. Uh, and so what they found from this, what they infer from this is our bodily expressions and emotional feelings are a two-way street. Okay? We tend to think it's a one-way street. It's, it's, it's how I feel that drives me to express bodily in a certain way, but it's also, it also goes the other way around. And that's why people can actually shift moods by exercising, by doing something really enjoyable, exciting, uh, your bodily interactions or expressions can have an impact on your feelings, too. So if you posture yourself physically, just what kind of face you're wearing or what kind of clothes you're wearing, uh, how you're sitting, um, are you, do you look like you're about to pay attention or drift off to sleep? Um, if you posture yourself in a way that looks like you're about to enjoy something really really awesome. Chances are you'll feel that way. Chances are you'll feel like, hey, this was actually really enjoyable. Um, but if you posture yourself in a way that communicates, you know, this could really be a waste of my time. And I might not get anything out of this. I'm bored just thinking about doing this. I have no appetite for this. Chances are your feelings will be consistent with that too. Because it's a, it's a two-way street. 
Does that make sense? Okay. And, and, and that's not from scripture, that's just from an interesting study that I, I read that I thought was relevant to this. Um, and it relates to what we talked about just now, the physical. Uh, your physical posture matters. It matters. And I think we're so used to sometimes uh, doing only what we, what we feel like, thinking, okay, that's the sort of the controlling center of my being. But actually, no, uh, you can actually control a certain amount of your feelings even if it's not entirely 100% of your feelings, certain amount of your feelings by what you choose to do despite your feelings or in spite of your feelings. That's one way to posture yourself. So, so what, what would communicate for you? And this is subjective, right? This, it doesn't look the same way. Um, so I don't want to be too dismissive of people who like Instagram their Bible open with their moleskin next to like a cup of cappuccino um, and they want that good vibe I, I don't want to judge that, you know, because that's their posture. That's their posture. Now, if you spend three hours doing that, maybe there's something wrong with that, and then you constantly check how many likes you got or shared. That, there's something wrong with that, but if you simply do that for yourself, for your time with the Lord to be sweet, that's, that's a good way to check yourself, to, to get into that posture. But it, for you, it could be just, yeah, at your, it could be at your dining table, sitting up straight, not in your pajamas, and have a cup of coffee. It could be that. What is your posture? What, what, what will be a helpful posture for you? It's important to have that posture. Another important way to posture yourself is having this mental posture. Here's what I mean by that. Um, you, already, you already do this. We just don't do enough of it with God. Um, consider this. The difference, the difference between seeing what something is and seeing what something means. Okay, so let me write that down because that, that might be a little abstract. So what I mean is the difference between what is and what it means, okay? Most often, we don't care to make that distinction because they ha- kind of happen simultaneously a lot of times. Uh, as soon as we look at something and identify what it is, we also interpret the meaning of that thing. So, for example, when I see Lynn, where is she, by the way? She's not in here. Okay. When, uh, when I do see her, oh, there she is. When I see Lynn and I see who she is, that's Lynn, I also see pretty immediately the meaning of who she is, right? That's my wife, right? I don't just see this you know, lady named Lynn, what she is. I see the meaning of who she is. She's my wife. That happens almost simultaneously, right? What she is and what she means to me, right? Now, when I go on a date night, right, and hashtag date your spouse, um, it's a good thing. And let's say we're having dinner. Let's say we're on a date, we're having dinner, I can, I can narrow in on that meaning some more, can't I? Um, in a way that I, I, I can't on a normal day-to-day basis. So in that moment, I get even more intentional on a mental level. I'm not on my phone. I'm intentionally avoiding work. I'm focusing on the meaning of the, the person sitting in front of me, and I can think things like, um, I'm so sorry if this sounds so cheesy. Uh, this, is my, this is my closest friend in life. Uh, she's the love of my life. Right? She's the mother of my children. Uh, and she's also someone with various personality traits and her own desires and hopes and dreams and passions that I should learn more and more about. Now I'm really going into the meaning of this person or packed within this person and, and, and not just seeing what this person is, right? Does that make sense? Um, Will this kind of mental focus have an impact on the quality of that evening I spend with her? Absolutely, right? And how, did, how does that happen? How did I turn what could have been a miserable evening where I'm on my phone, I'm distracted, I'm not thinking about this person in front of me, to thinking deeply about the meaning of this person who's sitting in front of me? How did that happen? What did I do that enable me to turn something miserable into something really enjoyable? Let me just throw the question, what did I do? 
I was intentional. Yeah, I made a choice. <laughs> you have the power to choose to focus on the meaning of that moment when you look, open up your Bible. So that when you look at your Bible, I mean, when you look at what it is, you can say, this is a big black book with a lot of tiny fonts and no pictures whatsoever. I'd rather be reading a graphic novel. That's looking at what it is on the surface, the physical form of it. But what if you were to choose to see what it means? What is, the, what is all the meaning packed into that book called Holy Scriptures? What is, not what is this book, but what does this book mean to me? If someone were to ask you that right now, what would you say? What would you, let me actually open that up to you. What would you say if someone were to ask you this, this book called the Bible, what does this book mean to you? What would you say? What, what, what might we say to that? Life, okay. Life, the way, truth, all right. Letter from God to me. Yeah, that's really personal, isn't it? What else? What, is, what does the Bible mean to you? It's a love story, okay. What else? Source of wisdom? That almost sounds uh, like something out of Doctor Strange. This book contains ancient source of wisdom. Yeah. You can't say that about, how many books can you say that about? Right. This book is a source of wisdom. It almost sounds awkward to say. To me, uh, this usually leather-bound, thick book with tiny little fonts and with black ink, to me it means God is here with me. That's one thing that it means to me. God is with me. He is here. Uh, and yeah, like it was said, God and this God, he speaks to me, and through, through this book, I can hear his voice. That's pretty amazing. Okay. And when I actually click into that, that mental posture, I, I, I cannot help but feel like I'm about to have an amazing encounter with something really, really amazing, or someone really wise, uh, someone incredibly insightful, or someone really helpful, or someone perhaps saving. That's a, that's a mental posture. I, I think um, this kind of intentional mental posture is not only helpful, I think the scripture actually commands it. Uh, in Proverbs, and I think I have this on there for you, Proverbs 7, 24, 25, it says, listen to me and be attentive, attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside. Okay. Uh, the, there's, a, there's a physical act of listening, but then there's the additional mental act of being attentive. Because listening and being attentive are slightly different things, aren't they? Right? You can listen. I can, I can listen to the background music at Chick-fil-A and not be attentive to it. Right? Listen to me and be attentive. And let not your heart turn aside. There's, there's something that then you tap into at the heart level when you listen attentively to what God has to say. 2 Timothy 3, 6, that should be 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's God's own breathed out word. That's what this book means. And it's spoken to us personally, directly, to benefit us for every area of life. 
So it's not just the mental posture, it's also a spiritual posture, isn't it? Um, it's going into it, not doubting God is there and he's speaking. Right? It, to, to go into your time of devotional, believing 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, when, that whenever you read his word, you're, you're so near him, it's like you can hear him breathe. It's his breathe out word. We need the posture of belief and trust as you go into doing devotionals. It's not just a mental posture, it's a spiritual posture as well. And, and just to know, there is no greater privilege in the world than this, to be able to sit with God and have him speak directly, attentively, attentively to me, right? Go in believing this. Have that posture of believing this and not doubting it. Okay, pause and posture, all right? Um, maybe it's, it's just adding one more step than what you just practiced earlier. Sitting up straight, closing your eyes, taking a deep breath, a few deep breaths, and then moving on to all scripture is breathed out by God. God, I want to be attentive to your voice so my heart will be turned towards you. Then your, your form is perfect <laughs> and, and you're ready to really enjoy what's about to come next. Pause and posture, okay? Any questions so far? Okay. Third P uh, is, is actually quite easy. After that, it's prayer. Third P is prayer. Uh, when you open with prayer, um, I'm not sure what you tend to open with, what you say, um, or what you expect as you, as you go into it with prayer. But I want to encourage you to pray the first thing that Jesus taught you to pray, which is not, uh, Lord, here's, here's how I'm feeling, here's what I need. Your Father knows what you need. Uh, the first thing Jesus teaches us to pray is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first prayer is to acknowledge who God is. Right? Uh, your heavenly Father. Prayer uh, is calling upon him, your father, uh, with, a, with a childlike impulse that we ought to have. Abba, Father, that's what we cry when we, when we pray. And, and as you pray this way, as Jesus taught us, then you begin to push against that very natural impulse we wake up with every morning, which is to live without being aware of God, without sensing any need of God, without any love for Him. If, if I had to point out one greatest struggle I have with doing daily devotionals is that, it's that impulse, that natural impulse I wake up with every morning, feeling like I do not need God today. Okay. Uh, David Paulison has his quote about Functional atheism, I thought was interesting. I, I think I just read it today. I wanted to share it with you. He says, quote, functional atheism is our most natural state of mind. People operate with no conscious awareness that the Lord's opinion matters decisively, with no sense of need for mercies, with no impulse to call upon him, with no love for him dominating heart, soul, mind, and might. But as soon as you pray, my heavenly Father, my Father in heaven, you push against that impulse, that natural impulse to be, to be a functional atheist today. Along with the other two Ps, right? You're pushing against the, the impulse of the flesh. And, and putting it like this, I realize doing daily devotional is really not just a matter of our enjoyment, is it? It's necessity. It's, it's a matter of survival. It's, it's life and death. Because without this 
without this entering into this spiritual battle, we, we default to our functional atheism, like David Paulison says. And that's, that's not something we should be um, uh, lax about. Um, that's something we should combat um, actively. Okay. So that's P. Pause physically, mentally, spatially, temporally, right? Make an appointed time. Do your best to keep that appointment. Uh, posture, enter into the proper mental posture and the spiritual posture and pray and acknowledge, contrary to your flesh, acknowledge your need of your Heavenly Father, the presence of your Heavenly Father, the love of the Heavenly Father who is with you. Right? Pause, posture, prayer. Any questions on the P's before we go on to the, the next letter, which is R? What? Extra hand. Are there any extra uh, copies? I can give you a digital. Oh. Let's see, I'm trying to see if, uh, if some of these were kind of addressed. Um, we're going to talk a bit more about how to pray, but we, we talked about it a little bit. Um, and yeah, who mentioned Jim? Was it Josh? Josh, you mentioned Jim. Uh, and I'm not, a, I'm not a connoisseur of, you know, but... Whenever I ventured into it, I have had people after people tell me how important your form is, your posture is. It's not about how much you live, it's your form, it's your posture. It's interesting you mentioned Jim because I just spent most of our time talking about form and posture. And it's not about can you handle the Old Testament or can you handle Leviticus, can you handle, no, it's, it's the form, it's the posture, right? Um, that counts, and that's interesting. It's always the it's always the basics. All right, no questions. I hope this means it's making sense, and and that you are mentally here, you are attentive. <laughs> okay. The next letter is R, and I think I think from here we'll go on very quickly. Um, R stands for read, and and this is a real simple one. Um, my, my recommendation is that you actually read it out loud. I shouldn't have said it like that. That sounded sarcastic and demeaning. That, that's not. I meant reading it out loud, audibly, uh, with your voice. Um, it's something I'm trying to train my, my son to do. I'm trying to train Owen to do it every morning, read a little psalm out loud with his own voice. Because by using your voice, you reinforce your bodily worship of God. Uh, there are not a lot of things that you do physically that's so immediately worshipful and, and unmistakably worshipful. Uh, you use your lips, your vocal cords, your ears, your eyes, your, even your lungs when you read God's word out loud. Um, I remember back in seminary, I, I was like, so excited that I discovered the NIV UK audio Bible because it's read by one of my favorite actors, David Suchet. Um, and I ran over to my friend. I was like, dude, you got to check out the NIV UK audio Bible. And I've recommended it to some of you, right? Yeah. I think James actually went through the whole year with it, right? It was pretty enjoyable, yeah? Because he's got that nice, smooth British accent that just, you know. But my friend also said something to me that made me not too dependent on that because he said, have you, listened, have you listened to your own voice reading uh, the Bible? I said, huh, that's an interesting question. I, I actually don't know how my voice, my Bible reading voice sounds like. You know? um, and that made me st start practicing that a little bit more, reading it word for word out loud and make that an act of worship. Read, read it slowly, read it word for word, line by line. Read it like you're actually reading, um, like I think Han said this, right? The wisest words ever written in history, because that's literally what Scripture is, right? 
And, and for the purpose of doing daily devotionals, I, I would also recommend picking shorter passages, um, somewhere between maybe five to ten verses, um, no more. You can do lengthier readings. You can do, like, before you go to bed, you can do just few chapters of the gospel or psalms you can do lengthy readings but for daily devotional um, especially if you you know have a shortage of time i would recommend reading aloud a few verses and just chewing on every word uh, quality is definitely better than quantity okay quality is definitely better than quantity um, and last thing i'll say about reading guys is uh, reading is quickly becoming a lost skill uh, in, in our time. Uh, and it's important we reacquire that. And so, so, so just kind of register that as, okay, this is, this is gonna take extra discipline because we live in the social media age. Uh, Tony, Tony Reinke, I think, is the one who said, reading is sustained listening, the skill social media kills. Okay, so, uh, yeah, we, if, if, you, if you're like me and you spend a good, good amount of time on social media, uh, you want to balance that out with ample amount of reading so that you're not losing that very important skill of, of sustained listening. All right, uh, moving on to the next letter, okay? So, so read out loud, read a few verses, read it word for word and chew on it slowly. A stands for ask, ask. And this is where it gets kind of fun, and we kind of talked about this a couple years ago when we did uh, another seminar like this. Questions to ask that help you um, draw more from the text. Um, this is where you begin to dialogue with God. Right? It's like a parent and child dialogue. Yeah. You know it's going to get interesting when, when children start asking questions. That's when the parent-child conversation actually becomes a conversation, and it's not just the parent teaching things. It's interesting when they start asking questions. God wants to hear your questions and, and hear you reflect on these questions. Um, some helpful questions for you to consider are, uh, what does this passage teach me about who God is? And how is he different from the world or my culture? What does this passage teach me about who I am or about the tendencies of fallen human nature? What does this passage teach me about my relationship to God or how I should or shouldn't relate to him? What does this passage teach me about my relationship to other people and how I should or shouldn't relate to them? Sorry about the typo there. Okay. Um, asking these questions can help you uh, maybe pause a bit more as you read and, and ponder on what you're reading. Um, and, and we're going to do a little exercise in it a little bit, but I just want you to notice that these questions are mainly about who God is and who you are and how you relate to God, yourself, and your neighbors. Okay, It, it makes you look up vertically. It makes you look around you horizontally. It makes you look inward to yourself. Okay, You can also summarize it kind of that way. And then this leads naturally to the next letter, which is I. And I is for interpret. Interpret. And this is where you're... Uh, really having fun because when you start interpreting you're doing theology you're theologizing because interpreting helps you apply and, and Dr. John Frame a brilliant uh, systematic theologian he said the theology is essentially application theology is application right if you don't know how to apply God's word you're, you haven't done enough homework or sound enough theology if you're doing good theology you'll see its application okay so here's some additional questions for interpretation um, what is there to love about God in this passage how does this passage point me to God's grace how does it call me to worship because right uh, theology a lot of theology is about God how is God loving why do we need the grace of God why why is God a, a, a proper object of our worship. Okay, so when you ask these questions, you, you, you're doing theology. Uh, question number two, what would be an interpretation application that would please him, please God? Uh, what's an interpretation application from this passage that's consistent with the rest of the Bible that I've, that I've heard of here and there or I've, I've read before, I've heard from sermons? For example, how is this consistent with what I heard on Sunday um, from the sermon? That's one way you can also interpret. 
Question number three, where is my quote-unquote room for growth uh, according to this passage? Uh, how is this calling me to repent or to exercise faith, supplication, make lifestyle decisions or changes, uh, pursue further disciplines, etc.? So I, I put a couple more because that, that can also be kind of abstract. I put a couple more specific questions you could use. Um, what's a behavior that's contrary to this belief slash realization that I need to be aware of and reform today? Or how am I tempted by unbelief in this area? And, and how will I tell myself to, what, what will I tell myself to, to hold on to faith? What will I remind myself with in order to hold on to faith? And number four, what little step slash action can I take towards this growth today? And, and your step or action can include your thoughts or your words and your deeds. And I think mentioning specific people in your lives can be helpful. So, for example, how can I encourage my spouse or children with this truth? Okay. What would believing this more in my workplace or school look like? Okay. Again, theology is application and... Um, if, if you cannot think of how this has any relevance to your immediate relationships, you probably haven't interpreted it enough. So there's more interpretation to do, more application to do, so that you can actually get to uh, uh, live this out. If this truth truly transformed me, what would I be doing differently? Okay, another simple uh, application question to consider. So here's what I want you to try in the next four minutes or so. Uh, here's one verse taken from Philippians 1-2. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the classic greetings from the Apostle Paul. I want you to take that verse and start an try answering some of these questions. Um, questions 1-4 through four, uh, from ask and also 1-4 through four from I interpret okay and then let's kind of share some some of our thoughts you don't have to make it through all eight questions because that's a lot but see what you get see how far you get in the next four or five minutes all right so go question yes oh yeah that's a good question how do you know if you're not misinterpreting his word yeah it's a great question um, one thing I would say is, uh, I think I kind of said this briefly earlier, um, when, you do, when you do the, um, is it the ask step? No, interpret. When you get to the interpret, right, um, what would, what's an interpretation application that's consistent with the rest of Scripture? That's probably your safest way to guard yourself from misinterpreting something. Yeah. Or, or what I've been hearing at church on Sundays. Um, and, and yeah, the, uh, you know, Second uh, Timothy 3.16, the verse before that, it says, you have been acquainted with the scriptures since your youth. And so just what you've been learning as you're, so that you have, you have a certain, your antenna is kind of up already, right? So, okay, that sounds, that, that doesn't sound right. Um, then to confirm that, and, um, and that's also something you can bring to the, the teaching elders of the church, <laughs> the pastors. Uh, that's kind of our job is to always um, uh, safeguard the sheep from false doctrine and teaching, and so you can always ask us. But yeah, I think, I think it's a really good first step for you to ask, is this consistent with the rest of Scripture? Is this consistent with what I've been hearing? Consistency, yeah. Uh, you can you can misinterpret things. You can, I mean, anybody can misinterpret anything if it's just that one line taken out of context, right? Um, and I think going through Revelation, we've been talking a lot about what how important it is to look at things in context, right? So, like the number hundred forty-four thousand, not just in the context of that one verse, but in the context of other references to that number, and and things like that, yeah context and consistency um yeah it's a good question okay yeah any other questions okay um so let me kind of 
go, go around the tables again and have someone who didn't speak before answer some of these questions. So uh, let, me, let me start the other way. Let me start with, uh, actually, let, yeah, let's start with you guys. Um, Tim, your table. Uh, first question in ask is, um, yeah, what does this passage or this verse uh, teach you about who God is? Anybody, anybody can, yeah. God is the one who gives you peace and grace. Yeah. yeah. How is that different from your culture? Mm. Yeah. Very limited grace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's encouraging. Yeah. Um, Paul's table, not Klein's table, Paul's table. What does this passage teach you about um, who you are? Yeah. Yeah. Reminds you of what your relationship to him is. Yeah. So if he is your God, he's your father, he's your Lord, can you also tell me something he's therefore not? What is that? Not below us? He doesn't serve us. We serve him. Uh, we don't tell him what to do. He tells us what to do. That, I, need to, I need to just sit on that for the whole morning, just uh, what you said there alone. Right? Um. Hans table. And, and when I call on a name, it doesn't mean you have to answer. It could be, <laughs> that's the trend, but uh, let's see if you would break the trend or be conformists. What is this? Just kidding. What does this passage teach you about your relationship to, to God or how you should or shouldn't relate to him? It's kind of similar maybe to what Paul is saying, but any, anything to add? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, that's so good. Uh, he's shown me grace. That means something I don't deserve. I'm undeserving. So I'm not entitled to any, any of the, the, the blessings that come from God, right? right. And, and that's something I really need reminder for because I, I, when I wake up in the morning, I feel entitled. But what you're telling me... Uh, from this verse alone, uh, Hyunjin is, uh, no, I'm not, I, I'm not entitled to anything. All I have is grace. Yeah, that's huge. That's a huge thing to just sit on, isn't it? Oh, man. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, Alex Table. Um, yeah, thanks for breaking the, the trend. Um, what does this passage um, teach you about your relationship to other people and how you should or shouldn't relate to them? Yeah. Yeah, amen. Did you guys hear that? Um, we should extend the same to, to others. Yeah. I shouldn't be so graceless towards uh, my children or be so easily angered by uh, uh, my wife or people in traffic. Um, that's not who I am, according to this verse. Yeah. You have asked a lot of good questions, guys, and you have answered them excellently. Uh, and as in, th you've answered it in a way that really points you to who God is, um, why he is beautiful, why you need him. Um, that's already a lot. Let's go to the I questions, too, um, real quick. Um, yeah, uh, Daniel's table over here. Um, what is there to love about God here? Or how, how, is this, how is this verse calling you to worship? 
him. Yeah, why do you find that to be something? Um, uh, oh, are you answering the, the, that as a question to uh, answer to what is there to love about God or how, how this caused you to worship? Okay, yeah. Tell me more about that because that's, that's, that sounds really cool uh, that you find it something lovely about him is that he is your Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you find lovely about that? Why, why, is, why is it a lovely thing that Jesus is your Lord? Yeah, how he, he gave himself for you. Yeah, no one would do that. Yeah, Jiwan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it reminds you of the gospel. Uh, and, and Christ, meaning not his last name, but, right, he's not Mr. Christ. Um, the anointed one, the Messiah, right, um, Savior who takes away the sins of the world. To me, yeah. Lord is also really comforting because uh, there's someone in control in my life, and and therefore I don't have to lord over it all. So to call him Lord can be can be tremendously comforting. So I don't have to be Lord, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, for the sake of time, let me just share my answers to some of these. Um, what would be an interpretation and application that would please him? Uh, I actually said what Alex said. Yeah, I shouldn't be so graceless towards others um, as if I never needed grace myself. If I drew that application from this verse, would that please the Lord? I think so. Right. If I, if I interpreted this verse as, man, how can so-and-so be so graceless towards me? Uh, do they not believe in the grace of God? What is wrong with this person? That, would that application please the Lord? And common sense says no, right? And that would be correct. Where is my room for growth? Um, or what's a behavior that's contrary to his belief that I need to reform? How am I tempted by unbelief in this area? Um, you know, I just put simply, uh, I can pray for more faith to believe God when he tells me he's not mad at me but he gives me grace and peace, okay? Because um, I'm tempted by unbelief in this area. My unbelief is God is mad at me. He is still bitter over the thoughts I had last night, things I did last week. He's holding a grudge. Well, not if I believe Philippians 1-2. So... So I'm tempted by unbelief in this area. I want to pray that out. I want to pray for more faith in this area. Um, what's a little step or action I can take towards this growth today? Or if this truth truly transformed me, what would I be doing differently? If this truth truly transformed me, I don't, I don't think I would be as anxious. If the grace of God and the peace of God is upon my life, that should push out... Um, whatever anxiety I still have left in me. Okay, so that, those are some of my answers. So um, A and I, they kind of go together, and they help you do theology, and theology is application. All right, S stands for summarize, and this is really to help you walk away with a summary statement of a sort that you would try to remember for the rest of the day. 
Okay, take away a summary statement, uh, maybe something that you just reflected upon, something you just shared, something simple, one-liner uh, that you would take away with you and, and hold on to for the rest of the day. The best thing to do probably is to memorize the verse or a verse or a phrase um, from Philippians 1-2, maybe you will walk away with, you know what, from the, for the rest of the day, I'm going to say to myself as often as possible, grace to you and peace. Okay, it could be that. I'm going to memorize grace to you and peace and remind myself of, of some of the reflections I had uh, this morning from that. Okay. Um, sometimes I think you can... You can get better at these summary statements as you have more um, spiritual conversations with other brothers and sisters uh, and spend time with one another. Um, it's through those conversations that you kind of tap into what, um, what your, what your um, personal application sounds like. So I have one here um, as an example I want to share with you. Um, if, if someone were to say, if you know, Joe the Christian were to say, I realize through my conversations with my brothers and sisters that I am someone who is easily irritated, uh, that my first instinct is not to be compassionate or patient towards them, but to be judgmental towards them and to distance myself from them at the first sign of discomfort. Therefore, if this is true, if this is what you realize as you spend time with people, therefore, when I do daily devotional, I want to narrow in on God's compassion and goodness so that I will walk away with God's compassion and goodness at the end of that devotional time. So uh, be in community, rub your shoulders against people, and let that draw out from you. Um, what, how will God equip you? How will he mature you as you turn to him? Um, for his counsel, for his help, for his life-giving words. Um, so, so you have something specific. And, and maybe for you, it may not be God's compassion and goodness. It may be something else. And, and it's, it should be something that evolves through seasons. In this season, what's something that God is calling you to narrow in on and to walk away with as often as you turn to God's word? Right? Is it his compassion? Is it his purity? Is it his goodness? Is it his patience, gentleness? What could it be? And last, E, is for engage, and that is to engage with God in prayer at the end. You've, you've just spent time with your Heavenly Father, going through P-R-A-I-S, right? Um, use the rest of the Lord's Prayer as, um, how, as a guide for engaging with God at the end. Um, pray the rest of the Lord's Prayer, right? Ask for the daily provision that you foresee needing throughout this day. That's the daily bread. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins, repent and com confess your sins before Him, and have the readiness to go out and love others and be forgiving towards others. Ask Him to strengthen you in that. Um, ask Him to lead you in, in whatever situation you'll be entering into, delivering you from the evil one or all evils and for his his strength to be with you for him to empower you so that at the end um, power glory honor would be unto god all glory be to him um, if you want to know more about how to pray uh, at the end of a devotional there is an article titled praying the psalms on our church website under resources uh, you can look at that, and that will tell you more about how to pray, especially uh, using the Psalms. After you meditate on the Psalms, how to close in prayer. So here are some closing thoughts, all right? Remember that we're talking about forming a habit that will keep your eyes on Jesus and help you walk more confidently towards eternity in a world where instant gratification and living for this world only are the primary concerns. This habit cannot be an easy thing to, to form and cultivate, right? So, pray and strive for endurance, okay? Hebrews 10.36, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised, okay? Um, there's a book called Grit. I don't know if you heard of that book by Angela uh, Duckworth, she's a psychologist. She, there's this famous TED Talk she gave on children's education at one point. She's a psychologist at UPenn, and she talks about uh, 
grit being something that we're kind of our culture is sort of losing sense of because enthusiasm she says is common endurance is very rare so we, we we like to be excited about things but we don't like to endure through things that's it's coming from a psychologist um so she says what we need more is grit and here's here's some questions that kind of she uses to calculate people's level of grit um, how good are you at setting a goal and sticking to it have you ever finished a project that takes more than a few months to complete have you found it difficult to accomplish long-term projects? When you get a good idea, do you stick to it or do you get distracted by bursts of good ideas that come at you? Uh, so grit in this case would be uh, enduring, um, sticking to one thing, knowing it, it'll be, it, there'll be a payoff. It, it isn't, grit isn't something that allows you to be perfect at executing a task every day. Grit isn't how passionate you feel about a certain task every day. It's about persevering through effort that over time translates into skill and achievement. Okay? If you think it's worth it, you stick to it, and over time, 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 multiply by time, effort multiplied by time becomes skill and achievement. I think we need that. I think that's what the author of Hebrews actually means by endurance. You have need of endurance. You have need of grit. Um, Dr. Charles Hodges, he's my seminary professor, who said, life has no remote, it doesn't run on a button or an auto, you have to get out of bed and you have to change it yourself. Right? Um, I, think, I think spiritual discipline is, is something that, that requires this kind of uh, conscious decision that I'm gonna step into this, I'm gonna choose into this, um, I'm gonna try to be gritty with it and um, stick to it as much as I can. And scripture calls us to that kind of endurance, to finish the race. Because if you, as it says in Galatians 6, um, if we don't grow weary of doing good, in due season we will reap. Okay, What you sow, you will reap. So, so keep sowing, keep running the race, do not give up. Um, even if your enjoyment in this isn't at the highest level over time, uh, I'm sure that you will. You will find it more and more enjoyable. All right, um, since it's 9.05, what I'll do is I'll, I'll close this in prayer and I'll just stick around for, for us to kind of, for you, if you want to stick around and chat, ask more questions, we can do that. And um, yeah, I hope this was helpful for you guys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for being here with us and uh, I trust, Lord, that you have spoken to each and every one of us uh, things that we all needed to hear, uh, each of us in our own unique way. Um, Lord, help us to put into action uh, what you have put on our hearts this evening, uh, whatever that might be. Um, but Lord, help us to all head in that same direction of drawing closer and closer to you, uh, becoming more and more like your son, um, tasting and seeing more and more of your goodness through your word and lord um, to whom shall we go uh, you have the words of eternal life uh, so lord may we uh, in and out of season uh, run to your word and find all that we need all the hope that we need uh, all the the wisdom that we need the counsel that we need uh, the grace and um, strength we need in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks, guys. Um, brothers, if you could uh, help out with putting the tables back at Cafe Labrie, that would be great if you're able. Um, and I'll be around for any questions.